0: So we here on the Purplish team have spent a lot of time chasing around candidates across the state this election season. I'm Heidi Ganahl. I'm a mom on a mission that's pretty darn mad. I'm furious, actually, about what's happened to our state.
1: My opponent identified herself as a mad mom. I identify myself as a happy dad of two great kids, 11 and 8, raising my kids in the best state. Michael Bennett uh, hasn't done anything in the 13 years he's been there. He he couldn't even keep the child tax credit that he once got through.
2: Joe Day is way out of step with where Colorado
1: voters are and the the list is long.
0: I was able to lower the cost of prescription drugs through the Prescription Drug Affordability Board um, and make sure that in Colorado we're saying enough is enough. This is too much to pay for life-saving medications. The
2: cost of housing has gone up. The cost of gasoline has gone up. So we need to stop spending. And what we can also do is unleash American energy production. And talking to voters. Lots and lots of voters. What I'm most concerned with
1: is the economy. Well, for me, the most important issue is always housing affordability. There's a lot of stuff to look at, and and I know even when I vote, it won't won't be perfect for what I pick, but you have to become informed and you have to follow your conscience. I think that we've become far too polarized. Um, Right now, it's just a big battle between the two parties. Uh, One says, it's black, the other one says it's white, and nobody wants to come together and say they can make gray. In less than a week, we're going to see which of these candidates and messages ultimately win the day with Colorado voters, and how that compares and quite possibly contrasts with what happens in the rest of the country.
0: This is Purplish from CPR News. A podcast about Colorado politics, policy, and for this season, the 2022 midterm elections.
2: I'm Caitlin Kim. I'm Ben Birkeland.
1: and I'm Andrew Kenny. With this election in the homestretch, this episode's a chance to kind of take a last look and chat about what we've been seeing, how the candidates are campaigning, who's been spending money, and what are the political motivations that seem to be driving voters as they are already turning in their ballots.
0: So we've got a lot to talk about, so hang on. It hopefully won't be a bumpy ride. Before we talk about the elections, I think we should take a moment to reflect on the sad news that hit Colorado politics this week, the sudden death of State Representative Hugh McKean. He led House Republicans at the Capitol and died of a heart attack Sunday.
2: Yes, this was really shocking to everyone. It was so sudden. And McKean was someone who really had a warm personality. He worked hard to build and maintain just good relationships with colleagues in both political parties. He joked a lot. He was also like an
1: uncommonly sweet man, which everyone seemed to agree was very genuine. Mm-hmm. I, I had talked to him last week and at the end of the conversation, he goes, oh, I just love to hear your voice, which I thought was such a kind of over the top, nice thing to say to some reporter you've known for like two years. Yeah,
2: and he just he had a calm demeanor, definitely not a bomb thrower in the Mm -hmm. political world. And after the news of his death came out, I talked to the Democratic House Speaker Alec Garnett about his relationship with McKean. And he told me this story from last year.
0: There
1: is one really funny story. I'll just tell you. I don't think you have to use it, but it's Friday. We're working late. I'm complaining because my refrigerator broke and Emily was super pregnant.
2: Lawmakers were at the Capitol debating late on a Friday night, which is is never fun. You don't want to be there on a late Friday night.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it must have been late in the session.
2: And Garnett said he was complaining to McKean because his refrigerator was broken. (laughs) And his wife, who was pregnant, wasn't able to get ice out of the ice maker. And, you know, that was what she really wanted at that time.
1: So he was like don't worry, I'll come up on Sunday and I'll fix your refrigerator.
2: And Hmm.
1: I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) He lived in like Loveland too, didn't he? So he's coming down to Denver on his day off.
2: Right. Yeah. Hmm. Which, you know, at that point in the session, I mean, you could be just wanting to relax on a couch or something on the weekend, you know, because it is so tiring.
1: And so he wakes up early on Sunday, drives up to my house, fixes my refrigerator and then hangs out with my kids all day. And again, this is in the middle of session, but it was a good example of how we didn't have to talk business. He was always there to help people out. Wow. That's uh, not something I would expect from any of my coworkers. And we're not even constantly doing like political battle. Don't
2: don't expect me to fix your fridge, Andy. Yeah. I, I have no no technical prowess of that either. So sorry.
1: You don't want to hang out with my kid all day either?
2: I'd hang out with her Actually, all day. Actually, yeah. She, yeah, I would like to.
1: But that, that really underlined for me uh, a lot of how other lawmakers saw him. And I went digging around my audio archives and I found this conversation that he and I had had in maybe the last day or so of this most recent legislative session where stress is running high and tempers are running high. Democrats are just trying to get their bills through. Some Republicans just want to stop everything and, and really obstruct the process. And here's how McKean described his own role as the Republican house minority leader. I, I think you look at what makes rational good sense that needs help, right? And and that's been my philosophy for the last six years As we come here and we come from all over the state and we have all these different constituencies and you've got to figure out what works not just for your community, but for everyone's community. And so, so you're right. You heard some of the people like, Oh, let's just kill everything. I I think that often shows how, how naive and, and young in this job, some people are. Um, and, and as you mature a little bit, then you realize, okay, you know, if, if we can get something done here, maybe it's not perfect, but it's good. And, and does it serve the people of the state? And that was really his style, just acknowledging that he wasn't in power, but trying to get something done from the minority position and getting it done by being pretty much Nice about it, but having a little bit of a backbone as well. That attitude didn't always win him lots of friends in his own caucus, though. You know, it's hard to be the the guy out of power. And so he always faced more pressure from members to his right to really mess with Democrats a lot more.
2: That's right. He presided over a very divided GOP caucus philosophically stylistically Mm -hmm. Um, that led to the end of the 2021 session to a vote of no confidence which failed against McKean and that's really unprecedented but it speaks to just how split that GOP house caucus was
1: that was like more hard right members trying to knock him back out of power and it was interesting to watch he really just kind of put it down calmly but I would say with some steel to him
0: well you know I hate to be that person but Politically speaking, what happens next in that chamber?
2: Yes. So McKean's seat is, is now open, and McKean was running unopposed for re-election. Mm-hmm. So this was his final term in the House. That seat will be filled by a Republican vacancy committee, and that'll be filled after the election. And then the person they appoint will be allowed to serve out McKean's upcoming two-year term before the person would have to stand for election. So okay. separate from that, Republicans will also need to select a new leader for the caucus. Do we have any idea who that Republican might be right now in that chamber?
1: I imagine we'll find out soon enough, but it is a question of whether they, uh, again, choose somebody like McKean, his more moderating style, or if they want someone who will try to score a lot more points off Democrats and and I guess fire up conservatives by painting Democrats much more as enemies than McKean did.
2: And uh, there's a big turnover in the legislature, especially this year. So we're going to have a lot of incoming Republican lawmakers that this will be one of the first decisions they make.
0: It actually sounds like you guys will have a lot to talk about in the next season of Purplish. Always. So, when it comes to the big races in Colorado, there are only a few truly competitive ones this cycle. And I'm sorry, national media that's not listening to this podcast, <laughs> the race that is shaping up to be the most competitive and consequential in Colorado is not the U.S. Senate race.
2: It's Congressional District 8. Okay. Yes, and this is the brand new congressional seat along the Northern Front Range, and we've been talking about it for a year now ever since Colorado's Independent Redistricting Commission settled on these final lines last fall.
0: Right, and those lines make it nearly perfectly politically balanced Mm -hmm. almost. Yeah. And that's really what makes it exciting. It's a toss-up district with no political history and no incumbent.
2: And just to remind listeners... The candidates are two state lawmakers, Democratic Representative Yadira Caraveo, she's a pediatrician, and Republican state senator Barbara Kirkmeyer.
1: Right now, there's only limited polling. There's only been a few that I've seen. And those polls tend to suggest that the two are really, really close together, running neck and neck, with Kirkmeyer leading by a couple points in the polls that I've seen, but still within that margin of error. So it's hard to say With any confidence, he's going to come out on top.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Now, I've spent some time in the district this fall, and I think you can see some of these national trends really play out in this race when it comes to voters and what they're worried about. I spoke with this one undecided voter, Timothy Bowie, after a Carabeo event in Greeley. You know, He's a small business owner, and inflation Mm. and spending were the issues that were most important to him.
1: I think right now, I believe we have a spending problem. It's... We're spending a lot of, of money and that's driving up the inflation. So it sounds like he was receptive to conservative critique of the Inflation Reduction Act, for example, all the infrastructure spending. But you said he was undecided. So why?
0: Yeah. yeah he was still waiting to decide until he got to hear Kirkmeyer's positions. Um, he said he hadn't heard those yet. But as you mentioned, these are sort of the key issues that she and other Republicans have been mm-hmm. laser focused on. But not all voters I spoke with who care about inflation are ready to agree that Democrats are the problem. Mm. Mm. I met 18-year-old Logan Walsh from Thornton. He's an unaffiliated Caraveo supporter. He said, yes, inflation is a problem, but that it's a global problem caused by a variety of factors. He's actually worried about abortion access, even in Colorado, and the environment. But this, this is what stood out to me. It's just at the federal level, um, I do not like the leaders of the Republican Party at all. Um, and so keeping the majorities in both chambers is important to me.
2: I think that's interesting because some of the flyers I'm getting in races are talking about the, the local races in Colorado from more of this national perspective of it doesn't really matter about the individuals. It matters about who is going to control Washington, D.C.
1: Yeah. And even like my mailers I'm getting for like state level candidates, my like state house representatives are talking about this guy's a MAGA extremist. And it's somebody have like even as political reporter never even heard of before and you see them just instantly getting all this money thrown at them trying to tie them to this national stuff.
2: So what kind of really stood out to you about Logan's sentiment here cuz he's unaffiliated but he just it sounds like he's not happy with the Republican kind of brand?
0: I think it goes to what the two of you have both been saying, you know, it's just how nationalized all these congressional races have gotten because, you know, Mm -hmm. in the past, people were always like, you know, I might not like the way the party is acting, but I Mm -hmm. like my person, right? You're not really hearing that there. Now they're saying we want control of whichever chamber. You're hearing this from Republicans and Democrats. I will also say because this race is a toss up, a lot of people I talked to were also excited because, you know, for a change, their vote matters. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, before redistricting, this was a solidly Republican seat. So voters like Jenna Galvin from Greeley, who was also at this Caraveo event, she said, you know, she hopes competitiveness brings with it moderation.
2: You know, with this district being competitive, it's going to require anyone who wins to be able to speak to both sides and uh, you know certainly be able to maintain independent votes which in theory at least (laughs) should restrain any candidate who wins.
1: So Jenna's saying that because this race is so competitive that no matter who wins they know they'll be up for re-election in two years and they have to stay really responsive and I gotta say I'm a little jealous. I mean I live in eastern Jefferson County and what was previously a more competitive district. I used to get tons and tons of mail. I once got like 22 pieces of mail in one day. It was like 2018 or 2020. And this year, I've just gotten way less and I feel like nobody's paying attention to me anymore.
2: I feel like you're one of the few voters in the state that would say, please give me more political I campaign mailers.
0: <laughs> but I, I think, you know, Andy, to your point, I think it's kind of a microcosm of Colorado politics right now. You know, a lot of the races we
2: thought would be competitive, they aren't really that competitive statewide. That's right. When you think of the governor's race, uh, some of the statewide ticket, even U.S. Senate, when we were talking about that, it has gotten a lot of national media attention because Republican Joe O'Day is distancing himself from Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. But the question is, is how competitive is that race really?
1: And how much national funding is it actually getting? And, you know, so far the, the polls have Bennett fairly comfortable. And I'm not saying we should just trust the polls or the polls should determine what we pay attention to. But with Bennett, the Democrat, maintaining uh, a a good bit of a lead, it just seems like that national financial firepower really hasn't come to bear on on Colorado so far for that Senate race, Mm -hmm. especially not for the governor's race.
2: Well, I'm wondering, you know, when it comes to U.S. Senate, why that hasn't really happened, like what you think, Caitlin, because... Early in this cycle, people were predicting that Bennett could be in trouble. Biden doesn't have high approval ratings in the state. We are a very mm. independent-minded state. Voters mm. often vote for fiscally conservative ballot initiatives. And Joe O'Day was the more moderate challenger Bennett could face. Mm. I, I think, you know,
0: it goes back to, again, we shouldn't trust all the polling, but obviously the polling is showing that O'Day is not closing that gap. I mean... Bennett has led all the polls this entire cycle that we've seen so far, you know, save one where they didn't show the tabs on that one. And maybe it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like the polls haven't gotten any closer. So national Republican groups are staying on the sideline and national Republican groups are staying on the sidelines, not giving O'Day the resources he needs to close any gap. I also think it speaks to some of the larger challenges and the changing demographics in Colorado. I think what you have been seeing in the last few years is that this state has been trending bluer. I mean, Mm -hmm. Biden won with 13 points, even in a red wave year, even with Biden's numbers being underwater. It's still a large gap Mm -hmm. for Republicans to try and
2: close
1: in just two years.
2: Exactly. It does seem like in this particular race and we always see national races where this does not happen that both of the candidates have stayed on message, have not Mm -hmm. veered off what their talking points are and what they needed to do. I'm thinking of their final debate just a few days ago. O'Day continued to link Bennett to President Biden, and O'Day was accusing Bennett of failing to accomplish anything in Congress. Whereas Bennett focuses on the ways he thinks he has delivered for the state, and he tries to paint O'Day as too far to the right Hmm. on issues like abortion and gun legislation. Right, and as
0: you have mentioned, like, Part of what made this race interesting was the fact that O'Day has broken the mold of the National Republican Senate candidate model, right, which continues for the most part to embrace former President Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, he's been feuding with Trump almost. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Or Trump's been feuding with him. Exactly.
0: He's <laughs> trying not to feud with, with Trump for, I think, for a reason, because he also needs the base, the Trump-supporting base, to turn out for him in Colorado. Mm-hmm. But, like, O'Day keeps talking about this big tent he's built, right? Trump-loving Republicans, unaffiliated voters, disenfranchised Democrats— And he's hoping that moderate positions on some issues will help with statewide voters that tend to be moderate. I will say, and this is my big fear, like as a reporter, am I missing that group? Because I haven't been able to find all that talking to voters.
1: Yeah. What have you been hearing from voters?
0: You know, what I've been hearing from voters, they are focused on the issues O'Day is focused on. Mm -hmm. The economy. Yeah, exactly. But he's not managing to get them into his win column. He's been criticizing Bennett. You know, no one knows who Bennett is, but no one knows who who O'Day is either. That's part of the issue. (laughs) I went to like a Republican GOP event in Pueblo, and some of the people there wanted, like, were there meeting O'Day for the first time and trying to get his positions on things for the first time. It was three weeks out before the election. It seemed kind of late in my, in but my opinion. But is that actually
2: O'Day's fault? Because a lot of people are just so busy, they don't really tune in to the candidates till closer to the election. That's true.
1: Yeah, a lot of campaigning happens in October.
0: That's true. But O'Day has also been running for the seat for over a year, and he's hmm. still opening his message with like three minutes on his bio a year into this race, you should be talking more about like rallies and ideas. And he's getting that, Mm -hmm. but he still has to introduce himself to voters, which I think is also a statewide hurdle. I mean, Herschel Walker, J.D. Vance, Dr. Oz, Even Carrie Lake in Arizona, these are all people who had statewide name recognition. celebs, Or national, exactly, national recognition before going into a race.
1: And Joe O'Day had to try to make his own star in the course of this whole campaign.
0: Exactly. And I think it's hard even a year out. I will also say I do question who those voters would be who, two years ago, said no to Cory Gardner, but are now willing to say yes to Joe O'Day. I haven't found those voters either. And again, this goes to maybe I'm not talking to the right people, but I would have expected to find some of those in talking to voters. And I don't know if you guys have have found those voters either.
2: I haven't asked specifically about that in the last few days, but I think that we'll see if there's as many split ticket voters, people who may vote for Governor Jared Polis, but vote for Joe O'Day. Joe O'Day would need some of those types of voters, I think, to win here in Colorado. Republicans I talked to say that Donald Trump led to Cory Gardner's defeat. You know, Donald Trump's not the president anymore. So how much is that going to play in to what's happening with Joe O'Day?
0: Yeah, but I think Donald Trump still hangs over that party probably more than some some party members would like. He's still the kingmaker. Yeah, he's still the kingmaker. And I think the Republican Party has some baggage in Colorado right now that it can't shake. You know, case in point. I spoke with Kevin and Shannon Barrett in Pueblo. They're Republicans, but they're thinking of becoming unaffiliated because they're concerned about the direction of the party, especially around election denialism.
2: I'm more leaning towards like Bennett and candidates that I feel like have a more level head on their shoulder than some of the divisive language that I hear from the Republican Party.
0: Kevin had just found out that he would gotten laid off the day that we spoke. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he's he's in the tech industry, so apparently he's done this before. But they both said they're worried about the economy and the cost of living. But when I asked Shannon outright, like, you know, the issues that she's been talking about and Kevin has been talking about are the issues that the Republicans have been hammering on. Like, why isn't this working with her? This is what she said. It's all just lip service. I feel like it's just we're going to say what we want to say but then we're gonna do whatever we wanna do. I feel like it's gotten, it used to be, okay, well, this is what my constituents want. Okay, we're gonna have this conversation. And now it's more about us versus them. And if you don't believe me, if you don't want what I want, then too bad. There's not that dialogue that there used to be.
2: Now, is she also leaning towards Bennett? Yep. I mean, to me, what, what really stood out from, from hearing this is that these are registered Republicans they're worried about the economy, he lost his job, Democrats are in power, you'd think that they would automatically be voting for Republicans.
1: Especially because they're also worried about like the political climate, and Joe O'Day's message is literally, I'm going to fix the economy, and also I'm not fighting culture wars, and yet these people don't seem to be interested. So, I don't know. Again, it goes back to how hard it is to defy the national gravity of politics and separate these races from what's going on across the country.
2: Well, like Caitlin was mentioning earlier, that the Republican Party has baggage in Colorado that maybe it cannot shake. We'll see to the degree. But the lies about a stolen election and how much we as a state have had to grapple with that, the fallout of that, Mm -hmm. the on the ground impacts Mm -hmm. and that messaging and what's happening nationally. How much will that override state races?
0: Exactly. But again, this goes back to sort of my my big worry that. Maybe I'm missing those voters that are Democrats looking because of the economy are turning to O'Day. I just we can go to many places in the state and talk to as many people as we want, but not everyone will want to talk to us. So, again, my big fear, are we missing something, especially after 2016 and how close 2020 was? You never know.
1: Well, you know, what's funny is we're talking about this as if it's a referendum on Joe O'Day, but the incumbent is Michael Bennett, who Joe O'Day argues is terribly ineffective, what are you actually hearing if we want to open this can of worms from voters about Ben? Does anybody know or really care about him or are they just voting for the Democrat?
0: I think it's a bit of both. I think there are people who are voting because he's the Democrat and they want to see the Democratic Party in control. But like I also talk to people who do know him and, and Republicans, unaffiliated Democrats alike. They might not always agree with him, but they also tell me you know, they like him as a person, mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. like people like Cory Gardner as a person. And to your point about the whole entire ineffectiveness, effectiveness, There are a lot of ways to measure that. You know, for some people, it's how many bills you get passed. For other people, it's how you vote. For other people, it's what you say and what you're going to fight for on the floor. And that's why I think voters are weighing. It's not just one thing or another. And like, you know, Cory Gardner was a very effective legislator. He passed a lot of bills. He still lost the 2020 election. And it wasn't all because of Donald Trump. It was because... You know, there was a cardboard figure of him going around the state. People felt like he wasn't listening to them. And that was problematic, I think, for him as well. Not just Trump. I feel like this election cycle, more than most, has seen a lot of political sort of ebbs and flows. You know, I remember this time last year, Republican House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy predicting that the GOP House could flip more than 60 seats in the midterm elections, Sort of like wow. that red wave you saw in 1994.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and right around then. Ed Perlmutter, the current Democrat in the 7th District, announced he was not going to be running again, retiring, and a lot of people were thinking Democrats were running for the exit, Yeah, and mm-hmm. indeed, the state of the economy, shaky, has seemed to really help Republicans, and there's this historic fact, again, that the party in power, the Democrats tend to lose seats in the midterms, so, you know, a lot of signs... It's still pointing toward a big Republican year.
2: Yeah. But then, of course, we had the U.S. Supreme Court Dobbs decision mm-hmm. and the abortion rights issue. And that that does help Democrats. I don't know if it'll be as much as Democrats want it to help them. But certainly that's a outline factor that we maybe didn't anticipate. Right. And, you know,
0: Democrats actually had some good bipartisan wins this summer. You know, infrastructure, which was obviously last year, sorry, but like the PACT Act, which was you know, helping veterans who were exposed to toxins during their service. And of course, their climate health care and tax bill, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act to campaign on. And I think people were, were surprised by the legislative wins that candidates like Michael Bennett are out there on the road talking about.
1: Well, what I'm curious about is with those kind of political motivations going in opposite directions, will we see more voters splitting their tickets and saying, well, I like this message about the economy. I like this message about abortion. Maybe I'll just vote for a Democrat and a Republican. Any chance that that happens?
2: Well, we were talking a little bit about this earlier. I think we are a state that historically has seen that type of voter.
1: The split ticket voter.
2: Yes. And we have one of the most educated electorates. We have the second highest voter participation rate in the nation. I think we have an engaged electorate. I talked to plenty of people that think about the individual candidates. Ha- having said that with this political climate and the national stakes that we're, we're talking about, is that more important than the individual candidate?
0: I will say that one of the things that the trends that I've seen over the last few years is that when it comes to split ticket voting, it happens further down the ballot, right? Like your county commissioner level, sort of the local level, at least from the people that I've been talking to on the federal level, no one's talking about split ticket voting.
2: But aren't we and I know it's it's hard to just go off polls, but aren't we seeing indications that the candidate and the person who's running still does matter? Because Heidi Kinnell, the Republican gubernatorial candidate, is polling much lower than Joe O'Day. That's true. Mm-hmm.
1: So that would be a sign that, yeah, people don't just vote a straight ticket that maybe some people will decide differently for different offices.
0: Yeah. Or I kind of wonder how many people will just decide to leave a race blank because they don't like either of the candidates
1: or maybe they just won't vote at all. Uh, Speaking of, we do have some early turnout data. What we're seeing so far is that people are voting in smaller numbers slightly than they were in 2018, but I can't tell if that's because it's less exciting or maybe it's just a more complicated ballot. Maybe people are holding onto their ballots longer. Um, So far, Republican turnout is down pretty significantly so far from 2018. Democratic turnout is also down somewhat. And unaffiliated turnout is way up. So a lot of that could be just more people are becoming unaffiliated. But do you guys see any other factors that could be repressing this early Republican turnout?
2: Well, yeah, with the Republican turnout specifically, we are hearing from certain party leaders and nationally urging Republicans to not vote until Election Day or late Mm. on Election Day. uh, With this false claim that if you vote on Election Day, there will be less time for, quote, I don't know, election officials, bipartisan election judges to tamper with your vote, right. tamper with your ballot. Um, there's a lot of security and steps in place, which we talked about on Purplish, uh, to ensure that that wouldn't happen. And there's right. not uh, massive voter fraud in the state. But a lot of people, it, regardless of that, I think a lot of people do vote on Election Day because they like to. It's mm-hmm. nostalgic or they're procrastinating. We also have a lot of ballot questions this year, and it takes time to go through all of that and maybe decide how you're going to vote. So I think there's a lot of reasons why we may not be seeing that high level of turnout yet. Yet. Yeah, yet. But I would point out something interesting in terms of ballots that have been returned. Uh So far, the demographic that's returned the most is women over the age of 65, Hmm. followed by men over 65 and then also uh-huh. voters of both genders over the age of 75. So older voters by far are voting much more frequently so far.
1: Older voters getting it done. Well,
0: and then Traditionally, again, older voters tend to, to turn out. Younger voters don't. That is one of the things you always hear about. And look, elections are also ultimately about a number. It's a numbers game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, leaders might be questioning about the election, how you vote, but they are also encouraging. People to vote. Both Democrats and Republicans want their voters to go out and cast a ballot, because ultimately that's what's going to decide who will win all these races. You know, if Republicans go in larger numbers than Democrats, gives them the advantage, vice versa. And I think ultimately one of the things that I'll be interested in when this is all over is to see how turnout was in the end. Were Democrats driven to vote because of Dobbs, concerns about democracy, Or, you know, did Republicans' message on crime and the economy win out in the end?
2: And how many people end up just not wanting to vote, just kind of being burnt out on on the whole thing? I don't know. Or
0: sick of politics in general, which I can get it sometimes, yeah.
1: Not you, Lynn. No,
0: no, 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 never me. Never. (laughs) Okay, so that's it for this week's episode of Purplish. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Caitlin Kim with my colleagues Benta Berkland and Andrew Kenny. This episode was edited by Megan Verlee and produced by Shane Rumsey. Thank you for listening. This is Purplish from CPR News. Don't forget to vote and give us something to talk about next week.